0: Good morning. My name is Nathan Corbett, and it's my pleasure and honor to read with you um, this Holy Scripture. Today's verse is from Ephesians 6, and it begins, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in this land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Nathan. Hey, they're making their way out to the children's ministry, but can we give a hand to the Papa girls for... You know, the the Papa family, they're one of those families that, like, God has just bestowed talent on them from generation to generation, well, we come to the final sermon today uh, on this whole parenting series that we've been in. Um, and I've really enjoyed this series. Um, it's been helpful to me to think about these things as a parent. I hope that it's been helpful to you. We, we come to a very simple passage. Uh, you know, it's interesting, actually, most of the passages that we've been looking at in the parenting series haven't been passages on parenting, but they're passages that apply to parenting. They're helpful for us as parents to think about. But this is actually a passage about parenting. This is a passage particularly to parents and to children. So maybe it's particularly helpful. It seems really simple though, as I said, but if you're familiar with Paul, um, he has this way of, you know, it's like a, the root system of a tree. I mean, you, there's one little truth that just kind of explodes into a lot of other truths. And I think you're gonna see that in this passage. So three things I wanna look at today. I wanna jump in because we've got a lot to get to. The purpose of God's order, the, uh, God's order for children, and then God's order for parents. The purpose of God's order, God's order for children, and then God's order for parents. So the purpose of God's order. In this passage, we see order, parent and children order, and we're going to get to that. But I think it's important for us to ask, why is that in there? W- what is God's purpose in the order that he has created. You know, there's been a lot of talk, for example, about marriage. Is God's design for marriage kind of arbitrary, or is there something to it? It's the same thing with children and parents. When God tells children, honor your father and mother, is he just saying this to give us as parents a a hand? Like, hey, we can at least say the Bible says, honor your parents. Is that why it's in there, or is there something else going on and I think as we study the book of Ephesians, we realize there is something more to this. There is something else going on. In order to understand Ephesians 6.1, you have to understand Ephesians 5.1. And really to, in order to understand Ephesians 5.1, you have to understand like the rest of the book of Ephesians. Something that Paul does in all of his letters and he does it so well here in Ephesians, something I appreciate about Paul is he begins with the gospel. All of Paul's instruction are gospel overflows, right? So he does such a great job, obviously, in the beginning part of Ephesians, just pouring out what is true about what God has done for you and for me and for us in Christ. It's just worth reading. Ephesians 2, 1, you were dead. Just hear this, hear this is to us, this is to us today. Hear this gospel message. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of the world, following the power of the prince of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we all lived in the passions of our flesh, gratifying the desires of our bodies and of our minds, carrying out, uh, and, and we're by nature children of wrath. We were enemies of God like the rest of mankind. But here, verse four, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, this great mercy that God has extended to those of us who are in Christ, even when we were dead in our trespasses, has made us alive together with Christ by grace, God's grace, you have been saved. And what we see throughout kind of the rest of Ephesians is some therefores. (laughs) If that's true, if God, when you were dead, you were his enemy, made you alive because of what Christ has done. If that's true, therefore, therefore, and there's a lot of therefores. But the biggest of all therefores is in chapter 5, verse 1. And, you know, it's this amazing announcement, this incredible calling. God has done something for you and now you are called to something. That's a great thing to think about. If the gospel is true, if God has called you to himself in Christ, what does that require of you? What are you now called to? I was thinking about this this week and I was like, maybe I should explain this commercial. I was like, well, I'll just show it. Now, I know there's a lot of Georgia fans in here and so I'm sorry, I'm an Auburn guy. I, I'm not vouching for the University of Florida, but watch the commercial and uh, I think it's helpful. We got it? Is it coming up? Here we go. Remember this commercial? If you're an SEC football go fan. Go Gators. Go Gators. Go Gators. Go Gators. Go start a Fortune 500 company. Go write the great American novel. Go cure cancer. Go to Mars. Go Gators! (laughs) There is no bond stronger than the one formed when you become a member of the Gator Nation. It identifies who and what we are. And the Gator Nation knows no boundaries. Gators, yeah y'all! Go Gators! Turn it off. Okay. So, I don't know if we have any Florida graduates in here, but if you are, if you're not writing a best selling novel, you're a bit of a disappointment. <laughs> if you haven't cured cancer yet, you're really not making it, you're not living up to what a degree from the University of Florida is calling to you. It's a great commercial. It's saying, look, if you graduated from Florida, you're called to this great thing. Go cure cancer, go to Mars, go start a Fortune 500 company. So I was thinking about this, but, but let's think about this as Christians. If you're in Christ, you're called to something. If God has sent his son to redeem you from your sin and call you to life in his everlasting kingdom, what are you called to? And here's the deal. It's actually a higher calling even than graduating from the University of Florida. It's actually a higher calling even than that. And here it is. Therefore, verse verse, uh, one of chapter five. Therefore, James Boyce says, this is the highest calling that's ever been given to any human. Therefore, be imitators of God. (laughs) I want you to feel that. What does the gospel call you to? It says... Therefore, if God has made you alive in Christ, be like God. What calling is more than that? That's much higher than go start a Fortune 500 company or go cure cancer or go to Mars. Be like God. This is what the gospel has called you into. And this is actually what God has equipped you for as we're going to see by the power of the Holy Spirit. So this is Paul's argument. Because God has done this work in your life, the call of you is to be like God. And then what Paul does, and I'm gonna fly through this, is he's gonna describe what it means to be like God. Verse two, if you're gonna be like God, you've gotta walk in love. Verses three through 14, if you're gonna be like God, you've gotta be pure. Paul is very organized in his thinking. He doesn't seem organized, but if you start to kind of break it down, he really is. If you're going to be like God, verse 15 and 17 through 17, you've got to be wise. And this one's confusing too. People miss this, but this is, if you follow the outline, it makes sense. If you're going to be like God, you must be filled with the Holy Spirit of God. Don't be drunk with wine, but rather be filled with the Holy Spirit. I actually believe he's giving the the wine as an analogy there, the command on wine as an analogy. If you're filled with wine, that changes you, that changes the way you behave. And so too, if you're filled with the Holy Spirit, that will change how you act, you will be different. Then what he does is he gives evidence of a spirit-filled life. So the outline kind of continues. I hope you're following if you can look at the screens here. So what does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Which all goes back to imitating God. It means worship. Right? We address one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. That's one of the ways, uh, just like if you're filled with wine, you act different. One of the ways a spirit filled person acts different is they have a desire to worship the Lord. You know, it's kind of funny if you think about it, it's kind of interesting that we come together and sing. You know, it's interesting, isn't it? And we love to do it, and we love to do it corporately. We sing out our faith. This is evidence of a spirit-filled life. Another evidence is gratitude, giving thanks always, verse 20, for everything to God and the Father in the name of Christ Jesus. And evidence of a spirit-filled life, which points to someone who is an imitator of God because they have been saved, because they've been called to life in Christ, evidence of that is to be able to understand submission. Now, verse 21, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. What, what, what Paul goes on to do here is he says, look, evidence, this is, this is fascinating if you, if you really think about this. Evidence that you are a spirit-filled person, part of the evidence is that you're able to understand when God has put you in a position of authority, and when God has called you to submit and you're able to do that. Now, here's a little pet peeve of mine. Okay, I'm gonna take a break. We're gonna get to all the parenting stuff. I know you're thinking like, when's he gonna get to the parenting? I'm coming, I'm getting there, I'm getting there. I want you to understand what Paul and, I want you to understand what the Holy Spirit is saying to us, so you gotta understand, we gotta do a little work to get there. But um, this is a little bit of a pet peeve of mine. I have heard preachers preach, verse 21, saying, and they only apply it to marriage submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And they'll say something like, this is about mutual submission. There's, there aren't roles in the home, but the husband and the wife kind of submit to one another. I've heard people say that. That is not what this verse is about. <laughs> that, that's, that Of course we know it's so obvious this verse is not about that because what Paul then does is he describes roles of leadership and roles of submission. So there is instructions to husbands and wives, husbands, are called to lead your wives, right? They're called to to be the head of the home. And this is not a domineering kind of leadership as we see in the passage. It is a Christ-like, self-sacrificing, family-loving kind of leadership, loving your wife as Christ loved the church. And wives, if you are a wife, you are called to submit to your husband. Why? Out of reverence for Christ. Why? Because you're filled with the Holy Spirit. And what is that evidence of? That you're imitating God, that you're a believer. And then he goes to children and parents, which we're gonna get to. And then he goes to bond servants and masters. Now, again, I, I can't get into this today. Um, I, I wanna do, somebody said, you should do a series or a sermon on slavery in the Bible. And I probably should do that. I think this is a good thing for us as Christians to think about, but I, I don't have time to do that today. But the point of this is, and I want you to hear this, this is a good thing for all of us to hear. There are times in life when you are underneath someone else's authority and a Christian, a spirit-filled person is able to be under the authority of somebody else without always having to buck that. And that's, and, and that's true for husbands sometimes. That's true for, again, there's an, there's an employment aspect in this. There's, there's a lot of different authority. That's true in the church There's a lot of times when Christians are called to lead and there's instruction for that and there's times where we're called to submit. And all of this, and and the reason I go in all this detail is this, all of this is pointing back what? At what it means to imitate God. And imitating God, we're being like God, we're displaying God. Now it's fascinating that in this passage, It's evidence of a Spirit-filled life. A Holy Spirit-filled life is submission. Why is that interesting? Well, because what do we see the Holy Spirit doing as a member of the Trinity, as totally equal to the Father in power, in essence, and in glory? What do we see the Spirit doing? He submits to the will of the Father and to the will of the Son. And so I just want to say this, that that framing all of this, all of this, these roles for parenting, the instructions that the children are about to receive, the instructions that the parents are about to receive, it all goes back to imitating God. It all goes back to displaying God's glory. These commands are not arbitrary. They are the means by which God is making himself known on earth. And so that's the purpose of the order. Let's go now to some of the order. Let's talk about God's order for children. God's order for children. What is it? Well, it's pretty simple. (laughs) It's it's pretty simple throughout the whole Bible. Basically the only command to children in the Bible is obey your parents. (laughs) Listen to your parents, obey your parents. And I just wanna say this to those of you who are children here today, and a lot of them are out there. But if you're a parent, you kind of say this to your children. You kind of redo the sermon to your children afterward, maybe. Here's the thing, children. Listen, children. Any children here? When you obey your parents, you are showing evidence of a spirit-filled life, and you're imitating God's order. You're 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 displaying something about the glory of God. So if you're a Christian child. You, you must have, in light of this, this posture of honor towards your father and mother. And again, really, we, this is kind of the only command, you know, Blake Rogers says this, is the only command really throughout the whole Bible is this, honor your father and mother, obey your parents, honor your father and mother. This is the first command with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. And again, this is this is interesting. of course he, what he's doing here is he's quoting from the Ten Commandments. He, he is saying, "Look, in order for my God is saying, in order for my glory to be known on earth, I've always had this plan that children would honor their parents, they would obey their parents, they would submit to their parents. And he even said this, of course, God gave us this in the Ten Commandments. Now, the Ten Commandments, how do you understand the Ten Commandments um in America, we have the Bill of Rights. Okay, we understand the Bill of Rights, the first ten amendments to our Constitution. What is the Bill of Rights? If you have to kind of sum up, and, and you know, this is just some of y'all is a little bit of history lesson. If you have to sum up, what what are the framers trying to do with the Bill of Rights? Here's what they were trying to do: America had been under British rule. They had just broken away. They were all colonies, and they were coming together to form this big, powerful federal government. And they were all a little scared to do so because they had just been under this big government. And they were like, how do we keep the American government from doing what the British government did to us and kind of infringe a little bit too much on us? How do we keep that? And so they said, look, here's what we're going to do. We're going to create these rights. And and all and all of these rights, really, if you had to say the Bill of Rights, they're, they're these things that say, keep the government at bay, right? And so you, you have a freedom of speech, right? You, 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 the government can't control your speech. You have a freedom to assemble, right? If you don't like something the government's doing, you can assemble and, and, and push back on it. Even things like the Sixth uh, Amendment, which is you, you don't have to quarter a soldier if you don't want to, right? I mean, you may not know that's in there, but, but you, you know what? If a soldier comes to your house and says, I have to stay here, you can say, no, not without my permission. Sixth Amendment. And so all of these... All of these amendments, all of the Bill of Rights, they're, they're basically to say, how do we kind of hold the government back? How do we keep the government at bay? Now, 10 Commandments, is kind of similar actually. The people of Israel had just come out of Egypt. They were in, under the oppression of this other nation. They had lost a lot of their identity <clears throat> when they were in Egypt. They worshiped other gods. They took up other practices. And so what God was doing is he was calling this people out of Egypt. He was establishing them to be his people. And really their purpose, the purpose of the Ten Commandments, was so that God's glory would be known through them. So they would be distinct as the people of God. And so you have those commandments, those particular commandments. If God was going to be distinct and God was going to be known among them, you couldn't have other gods before him. You had to remember the Sabbath day. They couldn't be murdering one another. Why? Because... They, were, they believed in the sanctity of human life and they wanted to protect the image of God in one another. You couldn't bear false witness against your neighbor, right? Because they wanted to have a just society. They wanted to have an orderly society to reflect the glory of God. And how would this distinctness, how would God's glory continue to be known throughout uh, through this people throughout the generations, from generation to generation to generation? You know how? It's if the children would honor their father and mother. I used to think this command was saying, honor your father and mother, that you may live a long life. I, maybe I thought that because that's what my mom told me, you know. She was like, if you don't do this, you might die. And actually, that might have been true, you know. I'm just kidding. But Sometimes I've, I felt like my dad was going to kill me. But anyway. No, but, but I used to think it was, you live a long life. That's not really what the command is. It's, it's honor your father and mother that you may live long in the land, that the promise and protection and care of God may be with you, the Hebrew people, for a long time, from generation to generation to generation. There is a distinctness. There is an order that I am setting up, God says, Because I want my glory to be known, because this is all about my glory being known in all the earth, how is that going to continue when the generation that saw me part the Red Sea dies off? It's going to continue as the children honor their father and their mother. Children, honor your father and your mother. It's interesting. This is a similar command to Deuteronomy 6, which we've kind of looked at. But there, the, the 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 onerous is on the parents. Here, it's on the children. Children, you have a responsibility here. And I, I just want to say to children that are here, God has given you parents for good reason. Parents are a blessing. And people will say, well, hold on. What about situations where parents are not good parents? Look, there, there's obviously exceptions to this. That's why the family is an order established by God. It's not the only order of authority established by God. There is the church, there is the government. There are times where those orders need to correct the other order. But, but the typical rule, the, the, the normative rule is that God has given children, parents for their good to establish an order. I wanna say something really quick to, um, to older people and maybe to some younger people. I know a lot of people. I know most of the people I talk to. Uh, you have some kind of childhood pain or bitterness. Not everybody, but, but most of us have some, like, you know, man, you get a little older and you're like, I wish my parents would have done this or my parents feel me that. Here's, I'm gonna go ahead and set you free, okay? Your parents weren't perfect. My parents weren't perfect, right? There's things I wish my parents would have done differently. But I just want to say, especially to some of you young people preparing to be parents or maybe even people in marriage, I I believe that God is even calling us throughout our lives, not necessarily to obey our parents. I mean, my parents tell me to do a lot of things now that I don't do. In fact, some of the best things I've done are against my parents' advice, including moving to Atlanta to plant a church. Okay, so not per my parents' advice. So it's not a command to obey your parents, but it is to honor them. And I just want to say to even older children here, have a posture of honor toward your parents and forgiveness toward your parents. I believe then and only then are you actually going to be to be able to parent in a way that really pleases the Lord. That's really for the Lord. I know a lot of parents that are parenting away from their parents instead of parenting toward the Lord. Don't don't. Don't be caught in a web of bitterness that gets you to to, to be reactive. Be a proactive person that parents your children toward the Lord. And of course, as the children in here, I would say this. Your parents aren't perfect. They're not going to be perfect. They're going to make some mistakes. But God's command to you, even when they're imperfect, even when they may be wrong, is to honor them out of a reverence for Christ. Because of what Jesus has done, for you. All right, so that's the order to children. What I want to spend most of the time, and I know I've used a lot of time, but I want to spend most of my time today on God's order for parents. Look at verse 4, and simple passage. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So I want to look at kind of the three key words here, provoke, discipline, and instruction. Now provoke is a really great word. I'm glad Paul in this passage starts with provoke. He doesn't say, you know, bring them up in the discipline of the Lord without provoking them. He kind of starts with provoke. He wants you to, you gotta take this seriously parents. Don't provoke your children. Some uh, translations say don't exasperate your children. Colossians 321, it's a parallel passage and it says, fathers don't provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Here's a, here's a uh, paraphrase. I'm doing what I just said. I'm glad Paul doesn't do, but hear it this way. Fathers, you have to instruct and discipline your children, but don't hurt them in the process. Eugene Peterson says it this way. Fathers, don't exasperate your children by coming down hard on them. Take them by the hand and lead them in the way of the master, and this is so hard, <laughs> oh man, this is so hard. Don't exasperate your children, lead them to know the Lord. Parents, you have to keep your cool. And again, you're not, you're not gonna be perfect here. I lost my cool this week. Uh, I, w- I, I was talking with John Kellis. We had this like amazing father-son moment. Like it was just this great dad, son. I was talking about manhood how men protect women. I was was like, man, I was so proud of myself, right? And I was like, man, I'm being such a great dad. And we had, he was listening and he was nodding. And then we left that conversation. We literally left that conversation. And then he immediately, like the next thing he did was he did something mean to Rihanna, his sister. And I just lost it, okay? I'm thinking like, what? We just had the conversation, you know? Now, why did I lose it? You know why I lost it? Me losing it had less to do with me wanting to point John Kellis in the right direction and more to do with the pride of me having just had this amazing parenting moment being violated. Right? I I was walking out of that room thinking, I am like the greatest dad ever. And then what? God showed me, no, (laughs) you're not and I lost it. But again, like I said last week, I want my children to see me in good moments. I want my children to see me in bad moments. And I have to show them, I have to display to them that I need the gospel, I need forgiveness too. And so I was, I was able to ask John Kells for his forgiveness. I was able to ask Imriana, who saw the whole thing for her forgiveness. But don't provoke your children. Don't provoke your children. Remember the big goal here, parents. The, the goal is, is not behavior modification. Actually, the, the goal is, is, as we've been saying, it's freedom. Remember the first week, the goal is to set your children free? The goal is to, to set them free in the spirit. Now, what is freedom? We talked about that. Your children are only free. You are only free when you do what you want to do, but when what you want to do is what you ought to do, right? You're only free when your want to and God's ought to are aligned. And that only happens when? That only happens when you actually love God. So remember the big goal, parents. The goal is not that your children would obey and behave. Yes, I want them to obey and behave. But the big goal is that they would love God. That's what's gonna set them free. So be careful not to provoke them. Teach them to live by the Spirit. So a few things here. How do I discipline my children without provoking them? First of all, a few quick tips here. You have to know God. You have to be in communion with God. You can't lead your children to know God if you don't know God. Um, Deuteronomy 6 is a passage that we've looked at uh, and are about to look at again, foundational passage, but... What does it say? I love how it sets this up. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And these words that I command to you today shall be on your heart. And then he commands them to teach them to their children. Unless the word of God is on your heart, unless communion with God is happening in your life, unless delight in the things of God are true of you, you won't be able to pass these things off to your children without provoking them at least. Secondly, you need to be in a community of faith. You know, I so believe this. If you really wanna do this without provoking your children, first of all, just doing this in a community of faith is a more joyful experience. And secondly, the encouragement, the correction that a community of faith will bring into your life is necessary. I am so grateful that God has given Christ's covenant older Parents, mature and wise parents to hold up the arms of some of our younger parents. And more than that, we just need one another. You know, I, I, I had a friend one time and, and I could tell he had a really short fuse with his children and he was a really good friend of mine. And so I just said, hey man, that's not characteristic of you. What's going on? Are, are, you, are you okay? It felt a little provokish. And he just said, you know what? I'm not Okay we got this going on, we got that going on. And it was just a really tough season for him. Great guy, they're doing great now. It was just a patch. It was a time when he and his wife had some real needs. And you know what happened? The church was able to step in, fill those needs. People were able to come around them and get them out and get them back on the right track. You need a community of faith. And then the last thing, you gotta be humble. You gotta remember the gospel. A lot of parents say that they're Christians but parent like Pharisees. You know, Christianity is true of you, but in parenting, it's all rule-based, it's all perfection. Don't say that you live by faith, but parent by works. Let the gospel be as a parent in your parenting than it is in every part of your life. For some reason, Christians struggle with this. Um, for some reason, this is, it's what I have been saying. Your children can become such an identifier for you that you can become so legalistic and moralistic and not gospel-centered in the way that you parent. Again, the goal here is not behavior modification or perfectionism. The goal is that your children would actually come to know and love God. So don't provoke them. Two more words here: discipline. Discipline, and this is really where I wanted to spend a lot of time, and I've taken a lot of the time talking about other things, but I think we can get to this. I want to talk about family worship here. One of the things that, okay, if you're a member of Christ Covenant, it may have been a long time since you've gone through First Sunday, but but one of the things that we ask all of our members to do to really kind of get at our core values, there's there's nine kind of behaviors that we ask of you, and I can't go through all of them right now, but it's everything from corporate worship, which we're doing right now, to personal devotion to um, blessing the city, Jeremy Brooks was talking about. Uh, And and one of the things that we have for these that are super helpful, and I just wanna make a little bit of an announcement here, we have field guides, okay? So on your way out today, if you're kind of saying, I'd like a little help in my personal devotion, or what do we mean when we say bless the city, grab one of these field guides. We've kind of written a little booklet for each of these, but one of them that I wanna talk about today is family worship. One of the things we ask all of our members to be a part in is family worship. Now, if you're single, again, you've heard this at First Sunday, you're kind of off the hook here. But if you're married or if you're married and have children, if you're a single parent, uh, we desire that that worship, the pursuit of the Lord would be true in your home. So real quick, I kind of want to go through what we're saying here. What is... Family worship. Well, really, it's it's an intentional time. It's intentional and regular time when you come together with your family to pursue the Lord, to talk about the things of the Lord, to, to know God uh, more intimately. Um, in the same way that we want you to have a personal devotional life or a, some people will call it a quiet time, we want you to have a family devotional life. We want your family to have a time where as a family, y'all are pursuing the Lord. So that's what it is. The big question, though, is when do you do it? And and this is actually just straight from the field guide. Let me just read this to you. Finding a consistent time for the whole family to sit down together and read God's word and pray can be very difficult. Some families have family worship around the breakfast table, after dinner, before bed, or a combination of all three. Some families meet all together to read the Bible and pray Once a week, but the parents intentionally meet with each child individually at different times. Being consistent and intentional with whatever time you choose is what matters most. This is a great challenge and requires great discipline. However, most of the great and meaningful things that you do as a parent are hard and require discipline. Training your child to know and love Jesus, his word, the Bible, his church, and his mission is the most important thing that you can do as a parent. So you've got, to, you've got to find a time to be intentional about this. And if you're saying, well, we've never done this, just start. Start this afternoon. Start tomorrow morning. Find a time where you can be uh, intentional. For the D's family, it's, it's breakfast for us. We, we usually study the Word of God at breakfast. We have prayer time at night right before we go to bed. I can't, it, it would be very hard for me to teach uh, my children the Bible consistently every night because my nights are crazy. You know, I've got this, I've got that, I've got, I'm, I'm doing a lot for y'all but the morning is a time that I protect. Um, I used to get breakfast meetings all the time. I used to love breakfast meetings, but then I had kids and I can't like be busy in the night and be busy in the morning. So you can't get breakfast with me. Sorry, I don't do breakfast. I love breakfast, but I don't do breakfast meetings. You know, other than Thursday morning, when we do pastor school, Thursday morning is kind of the one morning that I take off, but every other morning I'm home, I'm with the family because, you know, that's when I can do it. So this is going to require some discipline. So that's when. And then the last thing is how. And really the big three things that we talk about in this little book are reading the Bible together, praying the Bible with one another, and singing the Bible. I actually want to go in the opposite order today. Now a lot of families are like singing. You know, actually singing, if you're kind of just getting into this, singing Uh, good songs, good uh, Christian songs with your family is, I think, one of the best things that you can do. Even if you have little kids, a lot of people with little babies are like, what am I supposed to do? You know, this kid can't even talk. Sing. You, in in your singing, you will start pressing truth on them at a young age. And if you're like, "Ah, I'm just really not a singer. you You know what Jordan has done, Jordan Coughlin? He's put together, I think it's coming on the screen, a Spotify playlist. So we don't want you to just, just sing Christian songs, we want you to sing good Christian songs. Um, you know, one of the things that we provide and sell a lot of times is a hymnal. I think, I think having a hymnal in your home that you get around and you sing is, is one of the best things that families can be doing together. Secondly is praying. And again, praying can be very simple, just taking turns as a family to pray. And I encourage you here having a prayer journal, writing down some of your prayer requests so that you as your family can see how God answers them. One of the things we talk a lot about is um, praying through scripture. Uh, and basically we say, what does that mean? It basically means reading a passage of the Bible. Uh, the Psalms is a great place to begin. And then letting the words of that passage guide your prayer. And if you're looking for more information on that, there's a great book called Praying the Bible by Don Whitney. Um, it's super short, really helpful. And then finally, reading the Bible. Now, if, you, if you're looking for a place to read the Bible, just I would just say you could actually just read the actual Bible. You know, uh, we do the ESV here when I preach. I like for family worship the New Living Translation. It's a little bit more palatable, a little bit more readable. Um, but you know, any Bible will do. If you're just getting started, this I think John is a great place to start. Proverbs is a great place to start. Just kind of gets you in. It's easy to kind of talk about a proverb. But, but a couple resources particularly that we like for children that I just wanted to give you. All. I think we have them on the screen here. Uh, a lot of y'all know this book, the Jesus Storybook Bible, very gospel-centric uh, understanding of God's word, incredible resource. Uh, another one that we really like at the Dees House is the Big Picture uh, Bible. Um, again, same kind of idea, very gospel-centric in its presentation, uh, really centers the story on Jesus. We are actually working on a Christ covenant catechism right now that we're gonna kind of blend in with covenant kids. But until that's produced, uh, one that, that I recommend is the New City Catechism. It's basically the Heidelberg Catechism, if you're familiar with that, with a little bit more updated language. And then another really great resource is Right Now Media. If you're a member of the church, every member of the church gets a subscription To Right Now Media. And there's a lot of great resources on there for adults, but there's a lot of really good children um, uh, resources also on there. Um, And so you can peruse through that. I like the show, personal favorite, Buck Denver, What's in the Bible. Really good, really good television right there. So, Right Now Media, a really good resource for you. So, very simple read, pray, sing. Can I encourage you to grab one of the booklets on the way out? And then the last thing, so we talked about provoke, discipline, and training. L- listen to these words real quick. and We're about to wrap up, but I-, I just want you to hear Deuteronomy 7. This is, this is how Moses talks about the Bible and the word of God. Teach them diligently to your children. Talk about them when you sit in your house when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise, bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates." Here's the question, Christian parent, what does conversation look like at your home? Who, who is, are your conversations about? You know, I was really convicted of this. Blake and I were talking about Psalm 78 a few weeks ago. You know, a lot of times I tell stories to my kids. Like, for example, I, you know, I love to tell my kids stories about when I was young, playing sports, or about like when I went to college. You know, who's usually the star of those stories? You know, usually kind of gets, he's the hero in those stories. Me, you know, you know, who usually maybe can run faster than he actually can in those stories, jump a little higher. You know, I want to be the kind of dad that when I tell my kids about, let's say college, I want God to be the hero of that story because he is. So I want to tell that story in a way where I'm like, hey guys, you know what? The Lord provided for your grantee and granddaddy to be able to send me to a college that was amazing. And you know what? When I got there, God gave me friends that loved him and that I had community. And you know what else? You know what else? I was able to use some of the gifts that God gave me to serve. It's actually one of the reasons that I'm here now. Praise God. That's the way I want to tell that story. You know, we just went on a big vacation out West. We saw a bunch of animals. What a great opportunity to just tell the story. Do you see what God made? Do you see how He made it? I guess the question I'm asking is: Are you capturing your child's imagination for the things of the Lord? The three things I wrote down: Is God the center of your life when you tell stories? When you teach? When you teach them things? Is God the center of that? And even when you interpret the world for them, the coronavirus. Who is your child trusting in? What is your child trusting in to keep them safe from the coronavirus? Is it God? Is it the Lord? Do they see him as Lord over these things? Who has protected your family? Who's cared for you throughout this time? Are you capturing your child's imagination in how you tell stories in the conversation in your home? is? The, here's the question. Is God really the center of your home? Or is it you? Are you talking about him by the way, when you lie down and when you rise? Do, do, does your household really believe that he is your only hope? Because here's the deal, he is our only hope. You know, one of the things I didn't say, that was in my notes, I missed it. All these disciplines, they're disciplines. They're disciplines, they're hard. You have to be, you have to be faithful with them. But I just wanna be very clear. It's not the discipline that saves us. The discipline is good because it puts us in an environment where we can behold the glory of God, but it's beholding the glory of God that saves us. That's how we're conformed from one degree of glory to the next. That's how we're saved. That's how we come into communion with the Lord. And as we do, I want you to hear this. As we do, God calls you and me to imitate him so that his glory can be known through us. Let's live our lives to this end. Let's pray. Father, I do, I pray particularly for the parents right now. I know there's more parents than kids in here, but I pray for the parents. It's such a hard job. How are we supposed to train and discipline our kids in righteousness without provoking them? And the answer is only with your help and only by your grace. So Father, I pray for this grace. I pray for it for Paige and for myself. I pray for it for the families of our church. I also pray for the children in here, Lord. I pray that, that they would be captured by who you are, by your character, by just the wonder of who you are. I also pray that they, especially those children who are believers, because they're spirit-filled, because they wanna imitate God, would be the kind of children that, that obey their parents, that honor their parents, even when they disagree, even when they think it's silly, even when they think it's not cool. Why? Because they love you. And you're the kind of God that says, we actually are being like you when we submit. Because you Holy Spirit, you Jesus, you're willing to submit to your Father's will. So Lord, uh, we ask for so many different measures of your grace today, but we thank you that you freely give it to all who call on the strong and good name of Jesus. In his name we pray, amen. As we close, we're gonna sing, but I do just wanna invite you, if there's someone here and you'd love to have a conversation, a question about anything that I just said, if, you, if you'd like the opportunity to pray with me or with one of our other pastors, you can slip back as we sing. I'll be standing just in the back here, but let's stand and sing as Matt leads us